Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. I told towards the end of first service, I said, well, I, I veered off my notes, so who knows what you guys are gonna get today, but. Take a beer, baby, take a beer. But this is, it's just one of those, this is one of those messages. It's, it's, it's like really, the Lord started stirring in my heart weeks and weeks ago, and I didn't even know, I didn't even know it was gonna be this. Um, but it's one of those like messages that is so close to my heart. Can I just take like two seconds and just pray, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would move me out of the way, that you would get me aside, Lord. I pray that you would speak. Just release any wisdom or insight that I think I have, God, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to every single person in this because it is, it is freedom that you have for every single person here. And we thank you, and we pray that and trust in your name. A couple, a couple of weeks ago, I was here, uh, and this is, this is one of those things that kind of solidified it for me, is uh, I, got to, I got to sit on a pa- panel with uh, the incredible Pastor Michaela and the amazing Pastor Leanne, and they called me like two days before that because uh, the person who scheduled to speak had gotten really sick, and they said, would you do a panel with Pastor Leanne on relationships? Like, you want me to just like, like, like sit next to Pastor Leanne while she just like spouts wisdom and I'll just be associated with her wisdom. So I spent 50 minutes or you know, 35 minutes or so like just reiterating what she said and making it sound like it was something different because she's amazing. And one of, the things, one of the things that stuck with me that she said that was so powerful it's like, I, I feel like so often, like, the most powerful nuggets are the things that slip out really innocuous. They just, like, they go under the radar. She, she was explaining something, and she paused, and she, she kind of leaned in, and she used her voice to say, like, hear this. And she said that if you want your spouse to trust you, you have to give them something to trust with. I have to trust you with something if I want to feel trust towards you. And it's funny because as a clinician, I kind, of, I kind of orient differently. That's a principle that she's, she's, she's articulating something so powerful and so critical to understand about trust is that in the English language, when we use the word trust, we're actually talking about two different things and they just move back and forth really quick. We're talking about the noun trust, right. what it feels like to feel safe and to feel confident, and to feel reassured that, man, if um, my wife says that something's going to happen, I know because I trust her. It's, I, it's a feeling. It's a sense in my body. And we're talking about the verb trust, which means to end trust. Right. If, you look at, if you look at the Latin, that's end, meaning into. Trust comes from the Latin traus, which means strength. And so oftentimes, I think, we get into this, like, impo- we, put, we put this impossible strategy into play where it's like, okay, Lord, I don't actually want to place anything into your strength, but I want you to build my trust in you. When she, was, when she was talking about that, it got me thinking, it was just stuck with me. And I was thinking about this moment several years ago when my firstborn, Olivia, was learning to ride her bicycle. And she'd had the training wheels for a long time. And she'd start to see the other kids in the neighborhood riding on two wheels. And she's like, Daddy, I want to do that. And I was like, okay. Because I was waiting for it. I was so excited. But I just need you to know, if Daddy takes the training wheels off, I'm not putting them back on. And I didn't explain what that meant. I didn't explain why. I just said, just FYI, if I take them off, I'm not putting them back on. She said, yes, 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 because she's six. And <laughs> we go outside. I took them off. We go outside. And I'm like, I'm giving her this brief tutorial. Uh, and 
Thank you. Okay, so you guys, it was too brief. I know that now. In hindsight, I understand it was too brief. And I set her up, and she's sitting on the bicycle. And we start to move, and we go real slow, obviously. And then we go a little bit faster, and she's starting to feel herself. She's starting to get, like, momentum. And I asked her, I asked her, do you, do you want me to let go? And she was feeling herself, so she said, yeah. And I let her go. And she fell over. As you do. I was like, oh, use your feet next time, honey. Put your feet down. Was that not in the tutorial? Okay. And what I didn't expect is I run over to her. I'm like helping her up. And she like turns to me and she's angry with me. She's mad at me. I'm like, I didn't fall. Let me know if uh, you have problems with the mic. Um, I didn't fall down. I don't know. Why are you mad at me? And she's like, you dropped me. I said, no, you, I understand, sweetie. You're feeling, uh, you didn't expect that. That was scary. And without even talking to me, she walks into the house. And so I go into the house. She's tattling to Sarah on me. <laughs> and I just asked her, are, are, you, are you ready? Let's, like, let's go get at it. And she said, I'm done. And she announced her retirement from cycling. <laughs> and she said, I want, you to put, I want you to put those training wheels back on. I said, oh, no. Sorry, babe, I'm not going to do it. And she, like, started to, started to, like, protest, started to fight with me. I'm like, babe, there's two reasons. Well, I didn't explain this one to her. Um, a, you can do it. You can ride the bicycle. I know you can't do it yet, but I know that you can do it. We can get you there. And B, I don't want to send you the message that because you fell down, you did something wrong. You shouldn't have been on that route, or you shouldn't have taken that risk, or you shouldn't have pursued that thing. I'm not going to teach you that. So no, they stay off, and let's go ride the bicycle. And she said, I'm done. And she really called my bluff. It was like two months before she was like ready. But she, I'm watching her in her front yard, and she's like watching the other kids riding around. I'm like, honey, do you want to do, do that? And she like looks at me real apprehensively. I'm like, here, listen, here, here. I know it was too brief. I get it. I understand that that was scary because you didn't expect to fall. But I, need, I want you to know, I can teach you to do this. I can get you there. Listen to me. I'm not going to say these words very often. I promise I can get you to ride that bicycle. You're going to probably fall down, but it's not going to hurt that bad. I won't put you at risk. You're going to put your feet down next time probably. Like, like there's skills you can learn to buffer this. But, but there's this moment where you're trying, like, how do you explain to a six-year-old I can get you there, but you have to trust me. I can get you to this thing that you want. I can get you to this thing that I'm promising you, but you do have to entrust into me, in this case, your body. You have to trust me that this is a safe thing to go through. And it got me thinking about this moment in Exodus, which I read just a few weeks ago, because reading the Bible in a year, following this plan, is literally life-changing. I, I cannot encourage you guys to do it enough. And several weeks ago, I was reading through Exodus, and there's this moment that, just like, just like Dr. Matt actually said a minute ago, when I read this, my first reaction was judgment. There's this moment in, in Exodus where Pharaoh just let Israel go. God has been coming against Israel. God has been coming against Egypt. I'm sorry. God has been advocating, sending Moses in, and bringing plague after plague after plague. If you don't know this part of the story, um, it's incredible. Read it. They're just these massive, like, huge demonstrations of power. 
So God keeps coming, sending Moses in and saying, tell him this is what I'm about to do. Let him go. Pharaoh says no. Flies, frogs, blood in the river, all these things, just massive, huge demonstrations all the way up to, like I'm warning you, every firstborn in Egypt is going to die if you don't let these people go. And Pharaoh turns his back and then this massive demonstration of power. That last plague is such a terrifying demonstration of God's power that Egypt actually starts pouring out gold and weapons, their weapons. They're saying, take our gold, take our weapons, leave, get out of here, get, like, because we cannot stand against the power of your God. And Egypt in this moment, just like Libya, I bet you Egypt was feeling itself, or I'm sorry, Israel. Israel was feeling itself in that moment, like, that's right, that's my God. And they're walking out, they're walking out of Egypt. And two days later, 10 plagues, Egypt sends you out with its own golden weaponry. Two days later, because remember, they're not like in RVs, they're walking, it takes, it takes time. Two days later, Pharaoh wakes up to the reality that I just, A, I let free labor go. He was probably not happy about that. But I think far deeper is it wounded his belief in himself as God, right? It wounded his ego. And Pharaoh comes to this realization and he sends his troops after Israel. And now Israel is about two days outside of like the the metropolis of Egypt. And they, let me just, is right before the moment that Dr. Matt was talking about. Everything we read is happens between them leaving and the Red Sea. So just stay with me. This is incredible. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. Everybody say shorter. shorter. Though it was shorter. For God said, if they face war, what? They might change their minds and return to Egypt. There's this moment where we have to, when, when I read that, I was, I was reading through this recently. It struck me as so powerful to realize, like, do I think of the wilderness that way? That God does this massive demonstration. Maybe I'm in church and Pastor Michaela is just preaching this incredible word. And, and you're sitting in there and God is calling, God is speaking to your heart in that moment. And, and literally out of Pastor Michaela's faith, you borrow her faith for your life, Right? You, you, you say, okay, I don't have faith for my transformation. I don't have faith for peace or for breakthrough or for my, my marriage to be restored. But, but you do. I'm going to borrow that. I'm going to go down and I'm going to get ministry at the altar. And I borrow your faith. And then I wake up the next day and my marriage is still hard. And then you, you think most of us, our first thought is, okay, that's how these things go. Be patient. That's not usually our first thought. That first thought is usually, oh, I thought I really meant it this time. Wow. Or I really, thought God, I really felt God in that moment. I thought he was going to change it. What went wrong? And this, when you read this, God did not lead them through this, the short road because God had a destination in mind, right? He wasn't like, let's just see where we end up. God had the promised land picked out. It was the land of the Canaanites. I'm going to bring you into this land, and you are going to take down these giants and possess this land that flows with milk and honey. God had a vision, and he said, I'm not going to take you on the road that's directly to the promise because you're not ready for the promise. It actually goes on to say, so God led the people through the desert by the desert road toward the Red Sea. He, he took them down a long road knowing that they were going to face this obstacle. And the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready 
for battle, which to me, I love that language, but it feels a little bit contradictory because in one sentence, it says, God said, if they face the Philistines, if they face war, they might change their minds and go back to Egypt. And then two sentences later, it describes the Israelites as ready for battle. And, and that language caused me to look it up in other translations. And, and the NASB says that Israel walked out of Egypt like they walked in rank like an army. They were feeling themselves. Another, another translation, the NLT says they walked out of Egypt like an army ready for battle. And how many of y'all know being like an army ready for battle and being a battle-hardened army who's been through adversity and been through pain and held faith and seen God deliver, going through those trials and being ready for battle are two different things than being, I, I got the armor or I got the outfit and I look battle-hardened, I look ready. And there's this reality that when we face, when we face a moment when we, we want to believe it's a breakthrough, that it's so, so easy for us to fall into this, this misconception, and then the, the devil moves in and he robs, he robs the gift that try, God is trying to give you, that, that you sit in that seat and you have the moment and God speaks to you, and he calls you forward, and you go down, and you get ministry, or you, you sign up for deliverance, and you go in, and you have a moment of power, right? And then the process begins, and because the power doesn't absolve you from the process, we doubt the power. And what we want to make sure that we remember is that breakthrough always is combination of power and process. It is always a combination of God showing up and taking us into the process. Because here's the reality. The reality is God could deliver you from your circumstances like that. The circumstances that you're going through are not the problem for God. They don't intimidate him. He's not worried about them. God could have a check in your mailbox tomorrow for the debt or for the thing that you need. I was talking to a guy recently. And he was, he was going through kind of like, he's grown his faith. He's only, he's only been a follower of Christ for about a year and a half, two years. He found God here. God has just been like radically transforming his life. And he was going through this thing. He was really, he's really frustrated. And he goes through, he kind of oscillates between shame and anger with God. Like, why isn't my job? Why can't I? Because he, he really struggles to provide for his family. And he recently did something really courageous, and he got a new job. And we were talking about it afterwards. And it's a better job, better provision, right? It sets him up better. And he was talking about this moment. He was reflecting on, well, you know, God gave me this job, but it's still, it still doesn't allow us to move out of it because they were living with other people. I said, it's interesting. You keep saying this, God gave me this job. Why, how do you know that God gave you that job? Can you tell me what happened? Because here's my guess. My guess is God gave you 13 jobs, and you chose the one that you thought you could step up to, right? I chose, I chose the level of risk and the level of faith that I believed I was worthy of, ready for, battle-hardened. And then God said, okay, if that's what you're ready for, let's take the next step and we'll build more trust because I got something 10 times better for you, but you're not even going to apply for that job until I build your trust in me. Amen? That breakthrough is always the combination of power and process. And, and the reason God doesn't immediately take Israel from Egypt to the promised land is because he knows I, if, I, if I pick you up and I drop you in the promised land, you're still going to have the mindset of a slave. And you're going to see the Canaanites and you're going to change your mind and you're going to say, you know what? Slavery actually feels safer. At least there, they say this a couple sentences later, at least there we had food to eat. At least there we had shelter. At least there we had water. There's a, there's a moment I remember kind of early in my own recovery because I got into therapy 
because I have my own sexual addictions, and that led us to marriage therapy, and I had this radical transformation in my life, and I remember realizing, this is a couple of years later, we, we went through a, a really intense time of really intensive um, couples therapy, and I, I, I got my life radically changed, and then I'm struggling with this addiction, so I got like 95% is what I call it. I got 95% healed, and then over the next two, three, four years, I just got comfortable with that last 5%. I, 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 a, lot of the, a lot of the hidden behaviors, a lot of that stuff has absolved. A lot of the, I, I, I moved on. I haven't done those things. But I, I've gotten comfortable with this last 5%. I remember talking to my therapist. Don't go see a therapist who doesn't have a therapist. Just FYI. That's a separate talk. I'm just going to say it right there. I have a therapist to this day. I'm talking to my therapist. And I remember him challenging me. I remember Dr. Brooks saying, Brian, do you, do you think that the reason you have a hard time letting go of that last 5% is because if you let go of it, that there won't be anything there to replace it. That if you let go of that, the, 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 the comfort, the reassurance, the gratification, the pleasure that you get from that 5%, God's not going to be able to meet you in that. And he named it 100%. He named, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm asking Livy to do something that I'm not willing to do with God. I want you to trust me with your heart. Get on the bike. It's going to stumble. It's going to feel weird. It's going to feel awkward. You're going to fall over but I need you to know that I can get you there. And then when I turn to God, I say, okay, 95%. I believe you're going to get me there. I believe 95%. And that last 5%, the idea of like, what, what, what am I going to do? If you take away this reassurance, this like source of comfort, this numbing thing, what am I going to do when Sarah's really angry at me? Or what am I going to do when I'm really feeling terrible about myself? Or I'm, I'm like behind at work, or I'm overwhelmed. Like, where am I going to turn? And he said, I need you to give up the 5% so that I can build, I can, I can fill it in. Are you with me? Yep. And Sarah brings me back to this, this thing that we went through when we were going through our own intensive therapy. We were talking about the message yesterday. She said, you know what? There was, that, there was that really messy transition when we were healing. I wasn't a therapist yet. And I remember there would be moments. So, so we have different, we have different um, you know, survival strategies. We have different ugly when, when we get really, really overwhelmed. Sarah and I, I over-communicate. She locks down. Which, uh, if you grew up in a house with yelling, and your spouse is not a yeller, in fact, when Sarah gets like really angry, she gets quiet, it is so frustrating, <laughs> because the more tense you get, the more they just reflect back to your crazy. Like, you just look crazier and crazier. But I remember sitting in our, uh, our therapist's office, this is a long time, it was like 13, 14 years ago, something like that, and I remember... <laughs> I remember her just shutting down and it being so quiet and, and our therapist, Gina, is just trying to like give her space and help her talk. And I'm like, babe, I understand that it's so scary to tell me what you're feeling and what you're thinking, but can I just ask you, just let me, I need to know what's going on. And she said, Brian, I'm so scared. Like if I tell you this, what if it hurts you? Or what if I say it wrong? And I said, okay, I need to give you some permission to say it messy. Say it wrong. Because when we are learning a new skill, when we're learning the skill of really healthy vulnerability, but we've never had that skill modeled for us. What was modeled for us in our home was control, or I'm gonna punish you with my anger to get you to change your behavior, or manipulation, or defense, or they stonewall you, they didn't talk to you for six hours. When those are the skills that are modeled for us, what do those feel like? That feels like safety. Wow. That feels like known territory. I don't like 
when you shut down and are quiet, but at least I feel oriented. I know what's happening. Okay, I'm going to give her five hours, and then we're going to probably pretend nothing happened, and, you know, I'll give her roses. Or Like, it's known territory. It's a false kind of peace. And there's this, there's this revelation that we had in the beginning. It's like, I, I know that we're learning to do something brand new, something we don't know how to do. So we're going to get it wrong. Can I just give you permission to say it wrong? Give you permission to say it messy? And she'd say, well, I hate when you try and control me. And then just saying it out loud, she would be like, you know what? I feel controlled. But she couldn't have gotten there without the, first, without the falling. Does that make sense? I'm way off. Okay. It takes it back to... It takes us back to that beautiful thing that Leanne was sharing, is that when we talk about trust, what we're usually talking about is a feeling of trust. And when God talks about faith, because I, I want you to know one of the most, like, oof, it just radically changed my, my walk with God, is when I realized every single time I read the word faith in the Bible, I, I supplement the word trust. Because faith, faith I grew up in a, in a church where people talked the talk but didn't walk the walk, and faith has become... Faith has become a word that's kind of gotten hijacked by religious culture. Trust. Trust is a word that we used in therapy. Trust means something to me. I know what trust means, and so I just supplement these two words. And when we're talking about building trust with God, I want to feel safer. To know that feeling trust is always a byproduct of entrusting. It's always a byproduct of actually putting something in the strength of your care, in the strength of your sovereignty, and and feeling Going through the experience and realizing you've got me, you had my back, you showed up. I used to, I remember when I, when I was really like a young adult and we were just, Sarah and I were students for way too long and I remember we were like, we were so poor and I would hear, it made me so mad, I would hear uh, pastors and stuff talking about these grand gestures of generosity. Like I remember hearing this, t- this pastor talk about how uh, twice in the course of his marriage, they've sold everything, including their house, and given it all away because God called him to do it. They've called him to do that twice. And I remember sitting there like, you idiot. Like, you're there. You got it. You made it. You, ha- you bought the house. You have the bank account. You have the security. Why would you give it up? And to realize now, like, oh, he wasn't operating under my mindset. He was operating... That's a gracious laugh. He was operating under the, under the understanding that the more I give up, the more I can be trusted. It takes me to the, the rich young man when Jesus says, sell, all you think, sell everything you have and follow me. The rich young man thinks, oh, you're calling me into poverty. I don't think that was true for a second. I think he's calling you. You want to you feel like what, it, like what 10 times the amount of wealth you have is? Okay, I need to know that I can trust you with this level of wealth. And then I'm going to unleash you. There's going to be a whole new, there's going to be a breakthrough to, okay. That a feeling of trust, a feeling of trust is always the, the byproduct of entrusting. And it, it, it was highlighted for me a couple of weeks ago when I, I was doing an intake on a new couple. This is several weeks ago now. And this, this couple was referred to me by two independent therapists who have been working together, husband and wife, right? They've been doing individual work with the husband and the wife. And they came into me and there was sex addiction in their past and they came in and, and they said, well... We, we were referred to you, they said, that we need to come talk to you because we're at the place of disclosure. We're ready to do a formal disclosure. And a formal disclosure, what that means is if there's been really extensive hidden behaviors, the addiction, right, that the impulse, the neuromuscular impulse to hide and lie and minimize and, and cover up is so strong, 
What we don't want to set that couple up to do is like, okay, now that you know that there's things you don't know, tell them everything you know, because what they're going to do is they're going to start, they're going to give 10, 15, 20%, they're going to do their best, and they're going to get overwhelmed, they're going to shut down, and then two weeks later, they're going to say, hey, there, there's something I didn't tell you, and then a month later, hey, there's something I didn't tell you. So instead of going through what we call re-traumatization, we say, okay, everybody pause, stop talking about it. I'm asking you, husband and wife, don't talk about the hidden behaviors. We're going to work with the husband, in this case, the husband who's the addiction, and we're going to help him, we're going to support him one-on-one -on -one really intensely for two or three weeks, and we're going to get him to a place where he's ready to do full disclosure. He's going to tell you the whole truth, but if we try and have him do that today, he won't be able to do it. And so they do this really intense private work with their individual therapist, and then they bring it. And so they said... They said, they came to me and they said, we're, we're at the place, we're going to do this, the disclosure soon. I said, man, that's phenomenal. When did you start? And they said, about three months ago. I said, oh my gosh, who told you to do that? How? So what you're telling me is for the last three months, wife, you've been living with this cloud over your head of, I don't know what I don't know. And husband, you've been living under the shame and the fear of what will she do when she knows? For three months, you've been living like, what took so long? And the, and the husband spoke up and he said, he said, well, Brian, my therapist is very concerned for me. <laughs> Ever since we've been going through this process, I've been struggling with a lot of depression and a lot of anxiety. It's been getting stronger. And I've even had some moments of SI that stands for suicidal ideation, thoughts of harming myself. I said, well, client, have you considered the possibility that the depression, anxiety, and SI are related to the fact that you're living with a massive lie that you know you're close to disclosing and maybe the absolute thing that your nervous system and your soul needs is to be known? I say, I, hey, I'm just, I want to say, I, we shouldn't have gotten this far. Unless we set a date, I can't work with you. I need you guys to set a date today. And he started to tell me all the reasons why that was really scary. And I said, I know. But here's what we're going to do. If we don't set a date, you're going to set up camp in the wilderness. If we don't set a date, you're going to put down roots right here. And I, I've seen where this train goes. In two, three weeks, maybe two, three months, you're going to start to get really busy. And then in six months after that, you're going to be like, actually, we can't make it, but we want to circle back and, and make another appointment with you later. And then a year from now, she's going to discover something again. I know what it means because when we, when we avoid out of fear... We give that sin, we give that, that stronghold in life, we give it power, and we put down roots in the wilderness. And we start to just, we start to just build our home right there. Wow. And there's a, there's a reality that we have to understand so often, and, it, and, and I know I'm talking about kind of an extreme example, right? So often, all of us get into a place where we keep asking, God, I want to trust you. Help me trust you. And he says, I want you to trust me, but I need you to obey me. Obedience is actually the process of trust. He said, Lord, give me, give me a feeling of trust. He said, okay, I, I need you to give me a step, a step towards me, a step of risk. I want you to build my faith. And he's saying, I need you to build your follow. I need you to build your ability to walk with me into this place that you don't understand. My, my wife was talking to me yesterday and she's like, that's what, well, here, I'll read it first. I'm gonna start to talk about scripture. I ain't read yet. So if you go down just a couple of sentences and you continue this, this moment in Israel's history, there's a moment where it says, verse 21, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. And here, neither the, the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night 
ever left its place in front of the people. And that's, that's such a reflection that God is saying to you as he's addressing Israel 4,000 years ago. He's saying, I get how fragile this trust feels. I get how fragile and how just like, it feels like it could just like evaporate at any moment. This feeling that you're putting your trust, your finances, your relationships, your marriage, you're putting it in my hands. And so what I'm going to do is I want you to know I'm going to be a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire so that when you get overwhelmed, I'm going to be right there. And even as I'm talking about this right now, it didn't occur to me that when I was talking to Pastor Jurgen about the vision that God gave him for 14 campuses in San Diego, he described them as altars. He described them as pillars of fire. That I don't know, I don't know where you are in San Diego, but there's going to be a stone's throw to an awakened campus so that even though you might feel overwhelmed and your faith might shake, you're going to look up and there's going to be, there's going to be a hub of faith that they'll have faith for you to borrow. And God is saying to you, there's something I want you to know that I, I understand that you're overwhelmed. I understand you're stressed. I'm going to be right there. You're, I'm going to be visible for you. And I want you to know that I'm not going to solve your problems because if I solve your problems, I actually preserve your mindset. If I solve your circumstances, I protect your bondage. I preserve it. What I am going to do, though, is I'm going to go one step ahead. Love doesn't solve problems, but love does go one step first. Love goes first. And so what we, what we expect in our marriages is we turn to our, our spouses when we're in pain. Dr. Matt was using that word armor. When we're in our armor, meaning I'm angry towards you, I feel defensive towards you, I, I feel attacked by you, I feel like shutting down and, t- and walking away. That's, what, that's a neurological response in your body. Neuroscience actually, as a, as a research, has gotten so advanced, secular neuroscience, you're starting to see language that sounds like this. Human connection is actually built into and reflected in the neural architecture of the brain. What that means is, they can actually observe in the way God designed your brain that you are built, fundamentally built, for deep emotional human connection with one other person, what we call a primary attachment. Wow. And when we get to that place where we are, we're hoping God solve my problem, and God is saying, love doesn't solve each other's problems. That's not the, I'll say it this way, that's not the first function, that's not the primary function of love, but love does go first. So we're looking at our spouse, and we're saying, Man, I feel attacked, I feel defensive, I feel like I don't matter, I feel hurt, I feel angry. And what I really am craving is reassurance from you. But because I'm all armored up, my nervous system is activated, and I feel tension in my body, and I feel anger, and I feel, I feel fear, I'm not able to give you reassurance. So what I want you, will you take off your armor so that I know it's safe for me to take off my armor? And what God models for us with Israel is that love is taking the risk of, okay, this feels like exposure. It feels like you're going to use this against me. It feels like I'm going to end up hurt. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take off my armor. And that doesn't mean I'm going to not be angry anymore. That's not usually how it works. What it does mean is I can acknowledge I'm, I'm attacking you out of anger and I'm sorry. I feel really angry right now. I think I'm feeling really angry because there's a, there's a fight my wife and I have had too many times. And actually, we had it, I don't know, last month. We had it pretty recently. And it's, this, it's a moment that comes up for me because as, as a clinician, as somebody who works in a client-focused field, 
There's a couple of nights a week, two or three nights a week, where I'm, I'm at the office, so I miss dinner with the family. And I did not think that that would be such a hard thing for me, but as, I've, as my kids are getting older, and as our family is like growing to these new seasons, more and more I feel the pain of missing that. Like, not just, um, man, I, I'm bummed I missed it, but oh my, am, am I harming my kids by not being at dinner tonight? Or I'm not just bummed that I missed it, but am, am I a bad dad? Like, there's this pain and this tension that gets activated. And so there's a moment where I get home early because maybe I had two cancellations or something, and I walk in the door, excited to share dinner, and they've already eaten. And instead of being like, oh, that makes sense, I turn to my wife and I say, what the heck? You didn't even, like, you didn't even think to call me before you ate? And my wife is just overcome with grace. No, she doesn't. She says, check yourself, dude. She's like, what, why? What am I supposed to, am I supposed to like call you every single night? And there was a moment where we were doing this pretty recently and it, and it got more and more and more tense, more tense than it usually gets. More, we, it got to that place where you, we're usually, we're able to put the train back on the tracks before we get to this place. And we get to this moment where my wife is able to say, sweetie, I'm, I'm really sorry. I think I totally understand why this why that hurts, because I know how much dinner with the kids means to you. I think I'm, I'm not able to like really validate what you're saying. Uh, one, because you're attacking me. She didn't say that. <laughs> she didn't say that. But she said, I just felt so overwhelmed. She's been going through a, a hard season with, with her extended family, some really painful growth. And she said, I just feel so overwhelmed. I, I get into this place where I feel alone. It just makes me angry. When she did that, when she turned to me that way, and somebody kind of takes off their armor, because we've, we've done that so many times, I got to the place where I'm like, dang it. <laughs> She's being healthier than me right now. <laughs> it's really irritating. In my head, I'm like, good job, Dr. Brian. That's good. <laughs> and I'm going to say, yeah. I, I am obviously, I'm so sorry for the, the way I just went into attack mode. I never explicitly accused her of anything, but we don't need to, do we? Our tone, our tone does the accusation for us. In fact, our brains are so highly attuned to emotional connection that your brain processes what we call affective data. Emotion, tone of voice, facial expression, body language, seven times faster than verbal content. So I can say to you, no, I'm not angry. <laughs> and before I finish the sentence, your body has observable defensive reactions. Your body tenses up. In fact, there are micro muscles around your major muscle systems that tighten before you even feel it, that shove blood into your, your main muscle systems because your brain is like, where's the cougar? I'm gonna fight something off. That's what your brain is doing. And so I don't even need to accuse her of anything. All I got to do is take on that tone of how could you to me. And really what my nervous system is saying to her nervous system is you failed me and I'm angry and I'm holding you accountable. And there's this, there's a painful thing to be able to look at that and be able to ask the question, what does it look like to go first? Because love goes first. And what it looks like is to do what my wife did where she says, okay, I'm not really sure how to solve this but I can at least look at myself and take off my armor. I can acknowledge that I feel really defensive right now. 
I can acknowledge that I feel really angry right now. And I'm sorry, because I know my tone is communicating a wall to you. And we, and we disarm. We take off the armor. There's one more. Let me look at one more moment. We're going to do this in three minutes. Watch, watch me crush this. <laughs> There's one more moment. Like I said, this is everything we're talking about happens between them leaving and between that and the Red Sea. And right as Pharaoh wakes up and he realizes, uh, not only did I let go all of my free labor, which he's probably bummed around, but more so, I released a kind of loss and I'm angry and now I feel insecure and rage boils up and he pursues Israel. And so he sends his army after Israel. And there's a moment that says in verse 10 of 14, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. Everybody say terrified. And they cried out to the Lord, which is really a pretty gentle way to characterize what they say. When I hear cried out to the Lord, I hear help. They said to Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? And we, was, we were talking about this moment with my, I was talking about this moment with my wife yesterday. And we were talking about how God doesn't call us to, he doesn't call us into our understanding. In fact, that's by definition, you're not in faith if you're operating in your understanding. And we were talking about that verse in Philippians 4 where it says, be anxious for nothing, but through all things, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and what? And the peace that surpasses, that transcends your understanding, a peace that you don't, that doesn't make sense to you, will guard your heart. It's going to be a wall of peace around your heart if you don't say, okay, how am I going to solve the problem? If you say, God, how are you going to protect me? How are you going to bring me through this? How are you going to feed me in the desert where there's no food? How are you going to quench my thirst in the desert where there's no water? And a, and a, a peace that surpasses understanding will guard our minds and our hearts. And we were, when we were talking about this verse, my wife said it again. She's like, what, were there no graves in Egypt? Meaning Egypt, or I'm sorry, Israel, follows Moses. They're feeling themselves. God showed up. They, one more time. Maybe for the first time in 400 years of slavery, they feel like, oh, this is what it means to be the nation of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what this is. You see, thank you, Egypt. We got our peace out. We're, we're leaving. And then two days later, Pharaoh shows up with his army. And now they look around and they're in the desert. And what Israel sees is no longer provision. Now Israel sees death. And what do they do? They look for a peace that makes sense to them. Why didn't, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? Did you bring us out here because you wanted, to, you wanted us to die out here? They're looking at the circumstances and they're saying, how, does, how do I understand these circumstances? These circumstances equal death. And Moses responds, he says, it would have been better for us, or this is them saying, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us, leave us with the Egyptians, let us serve them. It would have been better for us to, uh, to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses responded, he says, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. 
And we get stuck in the wilderness, y'all. When we get into the wilderness and we start to look for a peace that makes sense to us. What was that 5% that was hanging on from my addiction? It was a peace, a reassurance, a comfort that made sense to me. And God is saying, I'm trying to teach you what real connection to me feels like. But what, what you have to do is in the moment of overwhelm, in the moment of pain, in the moment of stress, I need you to pick up your Bible. Stop, stop opening up the internet file and go put on worship music. I need you to go to Tuesday morning men's prayer and I need you to tell the other men what you're going through and let them be my arms that get wrapped around you and prayed for you and you feel what it's like not to be alone in the wilderness. Stop looking for a peace that makes sense to you and let me show you a new kind of peace. When we get into cycles of what what I call in my work, we call them cycles of self-protection where something gets activated, something gets triggered, you hurt my feelings and I armor up and God is calling us to try some new things. Just like I said before, if, if, if you didn't grow up with this modeled for you, it's not going to look normal. It's not going to feel familiar. One of my favorite, I say that sarcastically, one of my least favorite things to say here in my office is we'll be talking about vulnerability. We'll be talking about, oh, look at this. And we'll be, we'll be kind of unpacking, this is what your armor looks like, so to speak. I say, have you ever considered turning to your wife and saying, you know, when I show you that anger, what I think I'm really feeling is not good enough. And I'll hear, like, maybe a husband, I'll hear him say, well, that's, that, that's just not my personality. <laughs> oh, bro, my fee is too high to be dealing with this right now. <laughs> that's not my personality is one of sin's favorite places to hide. It's right up there with, like, when I have more time and they just wouldn't understand. It's, it's a room, it's a, it's a safe house that we build for our sin and our fear and our projections that says, oh, this is off limits. That's just, that's, just the way, that's just the way that I am. Because when you do new things, they feel wrong. They feel unfamiliar, they feel exposing, huh? Vulnerability feels exposing. Men, do you remember the first time you put on skinny jeans? Oh my goodness. For men, over the age of 30, because I remember like, you, you might not have known that there was an era before skinny jeans where men walked around in cargo pants and it was considered, you were considered to be like looking good. It was such a sweet time in history. Pastor Michaela said, nope, that didn't exist. That was never a thing. But she's from Texas, so that's the originating home of skinny jeans. I didn't ever think about that before. But you put them on the first time and it feels wrong. You feel like, why am I wearing women's jeans right now? And you're like looking at the guy next to you. You're like, it looks good on him. And then you look at the mirror and you're like, it looks wrong on me. I'm gonna walk out of here and everyone's gonna look at me and they're gonna be thinking, why did Brian skip leg day? And it's just gonna feel, the first time you do these things, it's not gonna feel authentic. It's gonna feel awkward. It's going to feel weird to take off your armor because it feels exposing. And that's why God says through Moses to the people, I want you to do the least intuitive thing possible. Don't run back to Egypt, even though that feels like a piece that you know. And don't pick up the armor either, because I don't want you to think that you won the battle. What I want you to do is stand firm. Watch. Take off your armor. And watch what I do if you put your trust in me. And our relationships, that pain cycle, that cycle of self-protection gets shattered 
when, when you're willing to do what my wife was able to do, and she said, you know what? I think what's really happening for me right now in this moment is I'm feeling so alone in this other journey. And it just leaves me feeling angry and I'm taking it out on you and I'm really sorry. That that self-protection gets turned into a cycle of safety. That out of feeling loved by her, I naturally want to offer myself. I naturally want to say, I'm so sorry for my tone. I just, I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling, you know, it's always hard for me, like missing out. And, we, and, it, and it goes to this place where now instead of armoring up, we're actually, we're moving into interknowing this, like intimacy, and we're getting to be seen. And God wants to invite us into that. He's, he's, he wants to say to us all the time, I, I put you on the long road, not because I want you to spend 40 years in the wilderness. I put you on the long road because I'm not going to drop you into a promise that's going to harm you. I want to get you there, but I need you to trust me. I need you to get on the bike. I need you to at risk falling down. I need you to take off your armor. Are you with me? It's incredible. Once you see that principle, that, man, we all move into this cycle of self-protection just like Israel. Once you see that cycle, you realize it's everywhere. Oh, I'm doing the same thing. It's that panic that happens when my kids talk back to me or, or they have a habit that I, I didn't anticipate seeing in them. And what do I do about it? Is this, does this mean I'm like a bad parent? Does this mean I'm doing something wrong? Is this thing there's something wrong with it? And we go into panic and anger and control. I think, man, the key to that is to... Stand firm, trust, take off your armor, show your heart to your partner, show your heart to your, at the level that is appropriate, to your coworker, to your friend, to your, to your kids. You're letting go of control and you're trusting men. If I show up in love, God actually fights the battle for me, amen? Can I pray for you guys? But I thank you so much that today, that right now in this moment, there are marriages in this room that you want to break chains. You want to set them free. You want to loose them from fear and hopelessness, from a sense that, that something went wrong, that, that there's too many wounds or there's too much fear, or there's too much pain, there's too much blame. You want to release them from those fears. And God, where there is anxiety and where there is, there is anger, Lord, I pray that you would quicken faith, that you would activate courage to take off their armor. And maybe the, maybe the very first thing they do, the first step right now is to walk down and receive prayer together. God, for the parents, the people in Connect Group, where, where they can tell there's, there's, things, uh, there's parts of their life that they just won't let other people see. God, we ask for courage. Give us courage. Activate the faith and tell us what is the smallest next step that you can use to build our trust in you so that we can be fully seen and set free because you've called us into the promised land. And the length of that journey is determined by our trust, not your love and your goodness, Lord. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.